You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. Talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host this week along with Ryan. In our very first segment, we welcome Iyanla Van Zant, best known as the host of the hit own series, Iyanla Fix My Life, which recently completed its 10th and final season. From welfare mother to New York Times best-selling author, from the Brooklyn Projects to Emmy Award winner, from broken pieces to peace, Iyanla is one of the country's most celebrated writers and public speakers, and she's among the most influential, socially engaged, and acclaimed spiritual life coaches of our time, dedicated to facilitating the growth and evolution of human consciousness. Iyanla's body of work spans over three decades and includes 15 published books, six New York Times bestsellers, translated into 23 languages, and with sales exceeding 8 million copies. And we are talking to her on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. That first segment is hosted by Ryan. In our second segment, we speak to actor Amel Amin. The British actor plays Martin Luther King Jr. in Netflix's film Reston, which is currently streaming right now. The film is directed by George Seawolf and produced by former President Barack and Michelle Obama's Higher Ground Productions. The film follows civil rights activist Bayer Rustin as he organizes the 1963 March on Washington. And as you may know, it's already getting tons of awards buzz this season. And that segment is hosted by yours truly. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast featuring Iyanla Benzant and Amil Amin. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and you guys, my guest today, you guys, I had to take some deep breaths. I had to calm down because I was fangirling. But, you know, for over 10 seasons, you guys, she's helped us fix our lives. You know, while being a best, a New York Times bestseller with 15 published books, you guys, 15. And she's taught us lessons like sometimes you just got to get over it and reconnect with your personal power. Or I remember trust, which is definitely one of the most difficult lessons to learn. And, you know, just the fact that, you know, she put us on notice recently and she was like, okay, y'all thought y'all were done taking notes. And you thought you had all the lessons I can give you. But she was like, no, I'm bringing you back with the R spot. And this is season two, you guys, which, by the way, go download it now, wherever you get your podcast. Season one is already up. At the time we record this episode, 
um, episode one of season two will be out. So I'm just so excited to talk to her. I'm talking about the fabulous, the amazing Ayala Van Zandt. How you doing, Ayala? I'm so blessed. How are you, my love? Just excited to talk to you. Um, just about just how much you have blessed everybody else, right? Just how influential you are and just being the spiritual life coach you are. And I was I was kind of going back and forth. I was like, what do I ask? What do I say? Um, because I have so much respect for you. And I didn't know what question to come up with. And just all of a sudden, just kind of sitting around, listening to the podcast, thinking about it. I was like, well, let me ask her, like after 10 seasons, do you ever get a chance yourself to kind of reflect on how much you've helped people and like what that's meant to you? Well, you know, I don't help people. I just show up in my life assignment, uh, be loving and authentic, and they get the help because, I, you know, it's how many people have heard me, seen me, read my books, uh, listen, watch Fix My Life, will hear this podcast. I don't know what they need, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. All I can do is show up in my authenticness, in my love. I just love people. and speak from my heart and folks get what they need. And that's the magic. If we just show up authentically, people will get what they need. People will see who we are. And, and that's how we support one another. When, when you talk about just showing up authentically, the other thing that popped in my head was, I was just kind of wondering, do you ever, when you're just out, I guess if you're out and about um, friends and family, do they ever just expect you to always be able to give advice or always be ready yes, to listen when you're kind of just ready to chill? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they come up to me in Target and Walmart where I go to get my inexpensive laundry detergent and they freak out. And I say, just say hi, just say hi and keep on moving. They want pictures. You don't just walk up to a stranger and say, can I have a picture? Well, if you do, if the, well, I don't know why they do that. <laughs> and I yeah. say just, some of them get mad and they think I'm nasty or whatever, but I'm with my grandson or I'm with my assistant. I'm trying to get the soap, the laundry detergent is less expensive in Walmart. I didn't come in here to give you help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's such a good point because we have this weird idea of people, you know, like we see on television, famous people, we think they just always ready, right? Like you just trying, like you said, trying to get your detergent just out and about with your grandson. And they're like, oh, well, she, you know, she's not doing anything right now. Let me just go yeah. up and just start talking to her, you know, without the permission of saying, you know, hey, can I have a picture? Hey, can you sign this? And no, I'm not going to do that because that's not what I'm doing in Walmart. And you got to right. have boundaries. The mere fact that you think I'm a celebrity, that's not how I'm showing up in Walmart. I, I pay the same price for my laundry detergent and my toilet paper because it's cheaper there. Uh, and I will never again get caught without toilet paper or paper towels. So that's what I'm doing. Right. Mm, <laughs> no, that, that, that's facts right uh, there. Yep. Uh, you know, or in the Popeye's line or wherever I am. <laughs> and that just speaks to the fact that I don't have to be who other people think I am. I have to be who I am. Right. And so I have real clear boundaries and I hold them. And some people like them and some people don't, but that's not my issue. My issue is always to be authentic. Well, and I think that's one thing that kind of draws people. When you're somebody's very authentic, like you said, real and kind of just show up, it kind of opens you up more. But I remember seeing um, just from the show and I'm listening to, I'm working my way back through season one of the podcast. Um, Cause I got a, a sneak peek you guys of season two, which you guys definitely got to check out, which you're not ready. 
But um, I was just kind of thinking about the opportunities where if we all admit it, right, it's really hard for somebody to tell us the truth. It's really hard for somebody to sit down in front of you and say, I see this, this and this about you. And I'm wondering if there's ever if there's a particular moment that sticks out to you, you know, during the show, um, you know, whenever where you were saying, OK, I need to, this particular moment got really too heavy. They're not really receiving the truth I'm giving them maybe I need to take five or I need to step back. And that kind of, that kind of stuck with you, you know, before you could kind of be there for them and listen, you were like, let me step back a little bit. Cause maybe they're not ready for the truth. Well, if they showing up on my set to do fix my life, they didn't come there to have tea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've already made the choice to be here, whether it's uh, uh, fix my life or the art spot or in my classes and workshops. So I'm going to work with you, but I'm not going to fight you. I'm not. Right. I'm not going to fight you. And the thing is, it's not so much that we don't want to hear the truth as it's the language which which it's offered. Um, because how to say to somebody, um, you got bad breath. Do you say that or do you just take out your Mentos and say, have one? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. It's a Mento. Do I need that? And then if you do that in the kindest, loving way, they may say, oh, my God, is my breath smelling? Oh, yes, it is. And no judgment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just feel like you just delivered that really smooth by the way. And yes, it is. And you held out the mentos. I just feel like that's real smooth how you delivered that. Um, What, there was there any, Um, how do you kind of prepare yourself? You talked about they're on the set, right? They know what they're there for. How do you mentally and physically prepare yourself to kind of guide the guest and just, you know, like we talk about listen and just show up? Because we all know that they know why they're there. But how do mm -hmm. you kind of get yourself in that mindset and you're ready to hear and, and you know, receive what they have to offer? Well, you know, I first of all, I pray about everything. So by the time they get there, I know stuff about them that they may not even know about themselves because that's how divine mind is. And since I'm doing my life assignment, this is what the creator, source, spirit has assigned me to do. If I'm in alignment with spirit and spirit brings this person to me, then there's something that spirit wants them to do or know or heal or be. So my job is to be that medium, to be that funnel, to be that, that instrument that brings it through. So I have to first be in alignment with God's source creator. So that I know, because I don't know what this person needs. I don't, I, I just do, you know, what I'm guided to do. So that's, that's number one. And, and the other way is I have an intention. I don't do anything without an intention. Um, you know, my intention for being here with you today is to reach the people who are willing and ready to shift in their consciousness so that they can have more loving, fulfilling relationships. So that's my intention. So if I'm in alignment with source, and if I have a clear intention, and if I'm listening within, not without, but if I'm listening to that still small voice that's speaking to me, say this, say it this way, offer this, go here, then what happens is in alignment with what it is that source wants, not what I want or what I think. Mm, that's, I, I feel like every time you talk, I just need to have my note, my notebook open. Just keep it open. 
Because <laughs> I was just like, that was important. Like the intent, you don't think about that. You go into a lot of stuff. Even I'm researching, working on interviews. You don't think about that. You're like, yeah. maybe you need to figure out and pinpoint what your intention is when you're going into. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And then you line up with your intention. Uh, you, and in this day and age, in the 20 first century, we're getting ready to go into 2024, which is the universal energy of an eight, which is authority, power, and money. Everything mm -hmm. we do has to be intentional. Yeah. How are you exercising your personal authority? How are you going to offer, create, and serve? Author, how are you going to author what it is that you are creating and how it is you want to serve? And power, what is power? Power is not just control and domination. Power is about creating in a way that that supports your legacy, that supports what it is that you, the mark that you want to leave on, on society. You know, George Washington's on the dollar bill. He hasn't been alive forever, but his power, the legacy of his power is still with us. So how are you authoring your power in the world? You know, when, when all is said and done, what are people going to say about this podcast? What are they going to say? What are they going to get from you and I talking together? That's about your intention. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just speaking of intention and like you said, you could tell you had, if people don't know now, they get ready to find out that you have this gift of just being able to, like you said, sit back, be present, listen, you know, find out, help us figure out, you know, what our intent is, what our power is. And you have the R spot. I did not think Ianla was going into podcasting. What has the <laughs> podcasting world been like for you? Like you've already done the author, you got the TV on lock, now you're podcasting. What's that been like? You, you know what? I, it gives me a chance to work intimately because mm -hmm. on, on Fix My Life, people were passive viewers. But now with the R spot, they, I can speak into their spirit. They can speak into my spirit. So it's a more intimate uh, exchange. And we're doing the same work. You can't see it, but now you can hear it. And your hearing ignites your heart. So it's just, this, it's fix my life at another level. It's a more intimate exchange of fix my life. Oh yeah, for sure. People calling in and you could like, you still get all the feels. It's the people crying. You still deliver beloved, like nobody I've ever seen in my life. When you, it's like you mark the right timing to throw it out there. <laughs> um, yeah. What, how do the guests, how do you pick the guests you're going to talk to? Cause um, you know, we had Jada Pika Smith. That was, by the way, I love that episode, but how do you pick just, you know, when people are going to call in because I feel like the advice you're giving, you almost need two hours, but most podcasts are like 30 minutes, you know, people listening wherever they're out shopping or in the car or whatever. So how do you kind of pick that, set that up? Well, we're doing it a little different um, this season. Last season, we solicited people, uh, you know, when they wrote in. This season, every we we record on Tuesday and Thursday, and I do a call out on social media. All right. This week we're talking about dating. What are the dating rules now? And people call in with their stories about dating, their opinions about dating. Um, and we also uh, put up posts so that people know week by week what it is that we're talking about. And we're tailoring the issues to be more current. You know, recently they had a, a, a 
a list going around about dating. You never when the woman uh, posted about she wouldn't get out the car at the Cheesecake Factory. Oh I, yeah, yeah. I yep. like the Cheesecake Factory, so <laughs> I would have been real happy to go in there and get some of the little corn things, the Mexican corn thing. But she, <laughs> she felt that you know. So what are the rules for dating now? Who does pick the place that you go? And just having people hear their their share their experiences and how we can see it differently, beloved. That that's really what it is. It's not that everything is wrong or bad. It's how we're looking at it. Uh, and so I hope on the R spot to be able to give um, people a broader perception as opposed to being locked into the trauma of their past experience. <laughs> There's another way of seeing the world, okay? Yeah, that, I was gonna, that made me think of the um, the other people's onion was, re I really love that one. Cause there was somebody, you were saying, listen, you gotta step out of your past. And that's a hard thing to do when you have something that's still holding you back. And you're like, well, I did the work, I moved past it. Well, have you? And I think yeah. that's just going to be so interesting, like you said, for people now to have that new medium to kind of hear you. You know, like I said, podcasts, it's like you can be out, out shopping, you're out doing whatever. And now we have Iyala, you guys, in our ears where we can listen. We don't have to turn on the TV. I think right. that's just so cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, it all, again, the intimacy of it. Mm -hmm. Because social media, everybody has an opinion that they're not held accountable for and and we people can put out irresponsible statements and attacks and everything but when you want to get the tools required to improve your life on any level we can talk about it because everything begins with a conversation everything begin you want to buy a house it begins with a conversation you want to date it begins with a conversation so part of our spot is about learning how to have a conversation that's both beneficial and fruitful well i tell you right now you would be on my number one list of people that i need to sit down and have a conversation with so i hope <laughs> everybody goes out and checks this out downloads it wherever you can find um your podcast by the way this is a production of shondaland audio i just want to put that shout out out there Yes. Um, so yeah, you guys go check it out and, and support and download and subscribe. Um, Iyala, I could keep talking to you forever, but I know you got things to do. You're busy. So I just kind of want to end with what, since you give so many people, so many, so much food for thought, so many good um, advice and notes, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, my father gave it to me when I was about 14, 15. Um, and he said to me, sit down, shut up and listen. Now, in that moment, he was talking to me in my conversation with him. He wanted me to sit down, shut up and listen. But another perspective of that is in my life. When things are going on, when things are going crazy, when I want some insight, when I want some information, direction, guidance, I need to sit down shut my mouth and listen within, inquire within, begin within so that I get some clarity about what's going on, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking and what is the next most appropriate step for me to take. So that was it. Sit down, shut up and listen. Man, I tell you, if I did that myself more often, I might get, you know, <laughs> I might have a little bit more going on. I'm just saying, I'm just putting that out there. 
So I like that. I like that advice. Ilanya, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for what you're doing for Black Girl Nerds. I love it. Um, well, Amel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. I really appreciate it. I absolutely loved this gem of a film, Rustin. It is the film of the year, in my opinion. It's important. I hope it's a film that gets played in schools. I, I think that, uh, you know, there are figures in our history that we just don't know enough about. And um, Baynard Rustin is one of those people. And you play a very notable character that we do know a lot about. But I love your interpretation of, of Martin Luther King Jr. in this. And congratulations on playing Martin Luther King uh, Jr. in Rustin. We, we've seen so many depictions of this iconic civil rights leader in many films before. What would you say makes this film depiction different from what we've seen previously? Uh, I Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, I, I did a bit of research on the different kings. You know, I'd seen, um, you know, Selma, David Yellow was king. I'd seen Jeffrey Wright's king. And I know there's many throughout time. Um, and I, I kind of just, I looked at all of those kings and I decided to like park it and try and find the essence of who he was at this particular time. And George C. Wolf gave me my first anchor. He said that King at this time is a local star. He's a star where he's where he's from, but he's not yet the marbleized icon. He's not yet that person after the I Have a Dream speech that has gone into the distance and become this beacon internationally and globally. Um, and so it's about finding the nuances of his humanity and it's really centered around his relationship with Rustin and the sense of betraying a friend because of what you feel like you need to do to 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 um, to survive, you know, and and what you feel like is the better way to maneuver. And so, it makes him a lot more human. It makes him it makes him I think a lot more instantly relatable because it's 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 linked to the emotion of friendship and what one does in situations when when you make mistakes. And so I feel like that's the that's the exploration that we went on that might be a bit different and that he's younger. It's the, it's the rise of that to him becoming, giving that speech that changes his life and the world, you know? Absolutely. We, we see this younger Martin Luther King Jr. We see this great relationship between him and Bayard Rustin. Did you have any knowledge of Rustin and his impact on American history before taking on this role? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but literally, when I got the when I got the, the the call to audition for it, and it said Rustin, um, strange enough, a month before, I literally had a dream. Literally, July fifteenth, <laughs> twenty one, of that I'd be asked to play King. King wasn't something that was on my mind. It wasn't a, a character that was uh, a part that I was pursuing mentally. And then by August seventeenth, Rustin comes through the the the, the email. And I'm like. Rustin, what is that? But I quickly see Coleman Domingo's name, who's an old friend. I was like, oh. So I started doing research about Bayard Rustin and, and his influence on King, like his introduction 
to the non-violence through King, you know, um, or him introducing King to the idea of non-violent movement. Um, I had no idea. It's not, it's not, it's, he's literally someone that's been erased out of history or, or kept in the shadows specifically. And um, so I, I quickly tried to mold that relationship together uh, with the help of Coleman. And I think because we've known each other for so long, and we have a, a shorthand, we could we could find that kind of that that window into their intimate world together as friends and brothers. What do, why do you think that is? What is it about uh, Baird Rustin's story versus Martin Luther King Jr.'s story that you know Martin Luther King? We we know so much about his his mm. life. We know everything from even before the civil rights movement. Uh, we know uh, about his relationship with Coretta Scott King, uh, the March on Washington, even up to the moments leading to his assassination. We we know nothing about Bayard Rustin. Why is why is it that Bayard, like you said, was erased from history? Yet we know so much about Martin. Why why do you think that that dynamic is there? I, I think like with anything, you kind of need to pin this. The word star is really important, right? Star. They say, you know, Bayard Rustin in the beginning of a movie says, you know, he sees a star. You know, people see a star in you. And so when you see a star and you focus on a particular star, other things fall into the background, right? You, you focus on that particular person. I think King's uh, oratory skills, his, his um, him basically having the, the movement pinned on him in a particular way, is why I would say Bayard Rustin would have fallen to the background and his sexuality. You know, all of these components are the reason why I feel like, you know, he's been marginalized into history. And actually, very funny enough, at the beginning of the film, George Brinkley does this thing where he starts the whole move in the back of MLK's head and he comes round eventually and we reveal MLK. And in the shadows is... Rustin until Rustin says who says you are not our man and out of the shadows comes Rustin into the light and there in that moment they're interacting you find out who this Rustin fella is that influences and, and shapes and moves rooms and inspires people and is a great organizer you know Absolutely. There's some incredible performances in this film. You deliver an impactful, incredible performance as Martin Luther King Jr. We see Jeffrey Wright in this film. Mm. Obviously, Coleman Domingo is stellar. He's getting awards buzz right now. Uh, what was it like working with Coleman um, in this film? I loved it. I loved it. I think um, Coleman's the type of, you know, passionate artist that to me has made some incredible career decisions based on his heart you know it's not always a move and that I that I find interesting I think also he's a sort of type of man that um he is as electric and inclusive as Bayard Rustin was you know if you see him on set he is galvanizing the troop he is troops he's with the uh the, the background eyes he's with the cast he's he's lifting the energy he's singing he is like a manifestation in modern day of abide rustin which is which is which is brilliant 
And then for us, in terms of how we worked on our scenes, we have a real friendship, you know? And so that that's able to tipple over. We got very lucky in that sense. And we have a real history. And we also have a history. We haven't seen each other in years, but we had a phenomenal time on The Butler, for example. We worked on that um, when we were both younger, like, you know? And so that shorthand really helped us. And I think as well, um, not being afraid to have the intimacy of friendship and the intimacy of brotherhood and the vulnerability of those moments come to pass, which is not what you always see from two men, especially two black men on in, in a film, you know? So I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there was a lot of alignment that came together for us to actually really get this thing done in the way we did. You got a chance to sit in the director's chair making your first feature uh, film, Boxing Day, which is a perfect film to watch during this holiday season. Is Thank directing you. something that you would like to do more? And did that experience inform your work as an actor? Ah, uh, yeah. It, it informed my <laughs> so much. It informs you as an actor so much. You know what you end up doing? You end up kind of like giving over to the director more. You end up going, do you know what? If I trust this person and if this person has chosen me and I've chosen them to go on this journey, once you get sit in the director's chair, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really trust this person's vision and understand that they are the captain of that vision. Um, I love directing. Directing's a part of my heart, um, writing, directing, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a number of projects in the works. Um it's a passion of mine, it's, and it's always been a passion of mine. I just got really fortunate that I was able to do it with Warner Brothers and Film 4 and Amazon and compile that together to have a film that was kind of platformed in the way that it was. But, yeah, directing is something that I'm going to continue to to do. And, yeah, my next feature is in process now. So, yeah. And speaking of directing, you worked with Idris Elba, who directed you, in a film called Yardy, which I got Yardy. to see at Sundance when that premiered. Oh, you were there? I did. I what? said I did. Did you come to the party after? There was a big I didn't party. Get, I, I didn't get a chance to go to the party. No, no. Well, that party, the party was dope. That was, that, yeah, it was a dope party. I, the, those parties at Sundance are lit, I, I got to say. Super lit. <laughs> did you get any tips from working with, with Idris uh, while working on that film? Oh, ma massively, massively. Um, he's... He's such a presence, um, such a such a formidable presence, but really sensitive heart. You know what I mean? And so with that level of sense, artistic sensitivity, he's able to um, look out for the truth and look out for things that are that feel false noted. Um, I learned a lot about leadership, you know, because I basically did Yardy first and then went into Boxing Day like a year and a half later. And so I learned a lot about leadership from him. Um, the way he um, is so incredibly kind to his um, his crew. Now he's really like a salt of the earth type of guy that's like into his crew and and conversations. And then one of the things I learned is about how to, you know, with each actor you work with as a director, they have a particular instrument that they play, a particular note that they play, not just as an actor, but as a human being, they have a particular note that they play and you kind of have to attune yourself to their note for a while 
to in order to access the best version of them. So that's what I got from you know working with Idris and 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 different directors I've worked with. But yeah. Uh, that's awesome. My last question for you is MLK and, and Rustin, they have a partnership in this film that's based on mutual trust and respect for one another. Do you think that nowadays in our current climate of politics, that that is something that's now lost among our leaders? Or is that just something that's just rarely reported? Hmm. I'm going to go with rarely reported. You know, I think no one knew too true to your original question. No one knew about Bayard Rustin. So I've got to have faith that there are people in um in the shadows or in corners that are helping influence us all to perpetuate the best version of ourselves and the results that we want in life. So I, you know, I definitely believe in um, you know, no man is an island. And so there is no way people are arriving at a point by themselves. And I hope this film gives people and like the audience an opportunity to to really connect with Bayard Rustin all of the different you know players of the movement and also King in a different way because by showing King on the back foot um unsure um undecided um thoughtful you know full of fear um regret those are like human emotions we all connect to Instead of just seeing him over there marbleize, we're drawing King closer to us and we're amplifying by Rustin and we're like, wow, I actually, I can be, I am this, this is me. You know, I'm looking around for who's my leader and I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, it's, it's me. You know, it's possible within me. And I think that's what George achieves in this film. Like more than anything is that it's possible within me instead of it being just like, you know, hollow figures that are just statues far away from us. That's what I feel. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic as well and hopeful that also our leaders are working together for the greater good and uh, creating a better civilization for all of us here on this planet. So thank you so much, Emil, for your brilliant performance in this incredible film and also for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll see you down the road. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.